Thank you, Landon. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm pretty sure I heard hefty or heavy Trevi. <laughs> Sorry. I went to South Africa and Mozambique this summer, and a friend of mine from University of Arkansas Tech, or maybe it's Arkansas Tech. We're not friends. We are friends. But yeah, he called me Heavy Trevi. What do you do? Hey, welcome to Chi Alpha. Thursday night, best night of the week. Except the weather is a little. Who loves this kind of weather? Who does not like this kind of weather? Okay. It's like really good weather if you can stay at home. If you had a fireplace, you could read a good book. That'd be perfect, man. Hey, speaking of the weather, it's great weather for chili. And we just had a chili cook-off Friday night. Congratulations to Kira and your small group. Awesome. Good job representing the women of Chi Alpha. Yeah. Good. That's right. Um, but good job. It was fun. I missed it. I was not feeling well, so I stayed home. But I've heard there was like 30 different delicious chilies. So, what would I do? Was there 31 and I left one out? Like, oh, that's not good. Anyways, hey, this spring semester, we are doing a sermon series on the book of Ephesians. Ephesians was a letter written by Paul to the church in Ephesus, if you didn't know. And now we get to read it, study it, and hear what God has for us today, here and now. Two weeks ago, we got to hear from our wonderful campus pastor, Jason Bell, that we have inherited every spiritual blessing in Jesus. We've inherited every spiritual blessing. And last week, we heard from Sam on how we cannot walk out the Christian faith alone. We need Jesus, and we need to be seated with him. If you didn't know, Watchman Nee has this book called Sit, Walk, Stand. And this book goes over Ephesians, and if you don't have it, you should go buy it. On eBay, it's going for $4.61. Jason was waving a copy just now. You can also go to a website, and this is a hack for all of you, ABE Books. You can go to ABE Books, and you can find them usually for like 3 or $4, some of these good books. But Watchman Nee, Sit, Walk, Stand. I'll try to find you the... The link, Tina. But Watchman Nee has a ton of good books that will help you have good thoughts about who God is. And this is one of them. But tonight, we're going to be zoomed in to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And I want us to read it all out aloud. So I have my friend Drew coming up here to read for us. Thank you so much, Drew. Here you go. Oh, thank you. And you... He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved 
and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not that of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Thank you, Drew. He's good at ultimate, good at reading, man of God. It's good. And single. Let me pray before I go on. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we are so grateful for you. God, you have a word for us tonight. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We're grateful for you. Would you come? Would you be with us? Lord, the things that I have written here, they're just, they're words on a, on a tablet. But Lord, you have something more behind it. And your spirit is at work, God. Would you speak to us? Would you help us to love one another well? Would you help us to love Sam Houston well, Father God? We love you, Jesus, and we need you. Amen. Amen. So our text, let me go back to verses 1 through 3. It says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. This is the world then, and it's the same today. The world celebrates its selfishness. It parades its sin. The world gets mad when you don't love what they love, what the world loves. And unfortunately, the world and those who love it are heading to destruction and eternal separation from God. Many thought that with the beginning of the 20th century, the 1900s, that peace and prosperity would be the theme of the century. This was due to rapid, the rapid rise of technology, communication. There was like stuff was happening. And then two world wars happened and the deaths of tens of millions of people. And in the second half, this massive potential nuclear war was going to break out between two superpowers who couldn't get along, couldn't have peace. And now we're two decades into the 2000s, and it doesn't seem as if the world's figured out how to have peace yet. Sin and the people that are dead in sin, that's what it is. People who are lost without a father, a king. And no matter who you are in this room, like the people of Ephesus that Paul is writing to here, we have all been dead in our sin fulfilling the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh and the mind. We have sinned and been dead in sin. And it would seem like all hope is lost. If you look at the world, you look at everything in it, everything in history, and now it's like, is there hope? Is there goodness? But then verse 4 of our text, but God but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, 
even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you have been saved. And he raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Can we just say thank you, Jesus? Thank you, Jesus, that he has saved us. He has given us new life. No longer are we under the penalties of sin and death, but God, Jesus, has made us alive. We can be friends with God again. And let me ask you, have you experienced this new life in Christ? (laughs) Amen. If you haven't, you have the opportunity to tonight. We're gonna, I'm going to talk for a while, go through all my notes. Worship's going to come back up here and play. And we're going to be able to meet with God. And if you don't know him, you can. And if you know him and you realize there's some things in your life that need to change, you can. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Paul, he's the one who wrote the book of Ephesians. And if we look at this passage that we're going through tonight with this lens, this is Paul who was the Pharisee of Pharisees, he says. It's that in the book of Acts, it talks about him, like, you know what? I'm going to go out and kill all of these Christians. I'll find them. I'll kill them. Because how dare they disrespect my God? And if we look at it in that light, he was dead in his sin. But then he goes to Damascus, and God knocks him off his donkey and reveals himself to him, and Paul's changed forevermore. And Paul ended up writing almost all, most of the New Testament, all these different letters, Ephesians, Philippians, Thessalonians, all the funny names. But he also wrote the book of Colossians. And in it, he wrote this in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And it sounds a little familiar to our passage in Ephesians. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I like how this is written. But when you look at it, you realize Jesus was the one nailed to the cross for my sin and for yours, for all of humanity. But... He has forgiven us our trespasses. He's canceled the record of debt from sin by nailing it to the cross with his own body. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the appropriation for our sins. Appropriation. Does anybody know what that word means? I <laughs> um. Well, until recently. I mean, it was like a couple years, within the recent years. Seventh year on staff, I should know a little bit. But appropriation is this fancy theological term for Jesus' death on the cross and the, the turning away of the wrath of God, as that was the just judgment for sin. And it was, you see, in God's divine economy, God weighs things out fairly. He doesn't just let something go and, and not deal with it. And you realize God, he he has a love for his creation for us. He also has a love for truth, for justice, for holiness, for righteousness. These things are important to him. 
And when the cost of sin was too much for any, any person to bear, for all of humanity to bear, Jesus was the one who was able to pay that cost. And he paid that high cost on our behalf. You see, God loves us, and because of his great love for us, before we were ever saved, God sent Jesus so that we could be friends with God again. And this divine economy of God was satisfied. Justice was meted out for the penalty of sin. And love and compassion allowed us to be in right relationship with God. So every day when I get up, I can thank God that he loves me, that Jesus died for me, and he rose again. And the Bible says that he sits now at the right hand of God praying for us, praying for us continually, for you, for me, for all of us, praying. Amen. That's cool that Jesus is praying for you right now. Jesus paid a debt on our behalf so that we could be right with God again. We couldn't pay that debt or atone for our sin ourselves, but Jesus did. Have any of you ever done something you knew someone else had to pay the consequences for? I'm thinking like you went to a restaurant and you didn't pay for your food, you left and it was like, who paid for it? Has anyone ever done that? It's okay. I, I remember going to a place here in town and one of the guys was with us and he was talking and he's like, all right, I'll see you guys later. And he just left. And it was like, I don't think he realized it, but one of us had to pay it. Like either we were paying it or the restaurant one's going to be happy, so I paid it. I don't think I ever told him. But what else? What's something you did that someone else had to fix or clean up? You did it, but you knew someone else was going to pay the consequences for it. Shout it out. You, huh? You hit a car? Ooh. Insurance or someone had to pay that. Did you prank somebody? And then it's like, they got to clean that up the next day. So, so I'm not calling anything out. Well, I have a story to share with all of you. I have a story to share. This story does not make me look good. It does not. And I got to confess it to you all now. The people wronged could come after me for this. We'll see. It, it may be past the time of the statute of limitations, if I understand it right. Any pre-law students could tell me later. We'll find out. Could be, it could be. I don't know. But let me start at the very beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Close to that, I came to Sam Houston in the fall of 2010. A long time ago now. And Southpaw, Southpaw, the dining place on campus, had this Tex-Mex place called Tortilla Fresca. Does anyone remember Tortilla Fresca? All the old people. But man, was it good. You could go there, you could use, let me tell you, you could use your meal plan there to pay for your, for your lunch, and it was incredible. Now, I might remember it as incredible because the only other option was walking 30 minutes across campus to Belvin Cafeteria, which is gone, and it needed to be gone then. And, like, that's how old I am. Before Old Main, before Generals, like, we had Belvin, which was gross, and you had Tortilla Fresca, this, like, gym here at Sam Houston. But I remember going to Tortilla Fresca, and in Tortilla Fresca, they had this, this the, the, the bar for the food, right? And this glass shield so you could see the food being served with a gap underneath. And I was standing in line, like I did, and I remember it vividly, because I went like every other day. 
to tortilla fresca. Like it was, it was awesome. Get that chicken burrito. But I went, I remember vividly, but I, this one particular day I went and I was standing in line and I had a Band-Aid on my finger. And I had this Band-Aid and I was just messing with the Band-Aid. I'm standing in line and I'm messing with it and all of a sudden it falls off. And it hit the, the metal bar and it bounced once. A second time it bounced under the glass shield into the brand new tray of shredded chicken they had just brought out. Like I'm telling you, it was a big tray. It wasn't like a little thing. It was like, it's gross. I know. I'm sorry. It's gross. But let me tell you, Band-Aids blend in perfectly with shredded chicken. They do. And no one saw it but me. My food was already prepared. I had like a scoop from the other side. The lady's like putting it on top of the glass thing for me. And remember, I was, I'm 18. I'm an awkward teenager, kind of like Connor. And it just, like, I'm just standing there, and I didn't know what to do. So I'm standing there, I grab my food, and I turn around, and I go swipe my card, and I go to my dorm and eat. I, you got to understand, I didn't know what to do. What do I say? I, do I tell them? Do I just, <laughs> that's fine. I couldn't then. I didn't know what to do. I mean, this was like a George Costanza moment, if you've ever watched Seinfeld. It just, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't want to, them to hate me for th- having to throw away the chicken. Or what if I saw them just take the Band-Aid out and keep serving the food? I'm going to be grossed out then. <laughs> but I, okay, I did feel shame for it. This wasn't something I was happy about. <laughs> and I had to go home and, like, shamefully eat my burrito, like, tears a little bit. Like, oh, no. Tortilla fresco is going to get closed. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know if the ladies found it first or somehow it ended up in someone else's burrito, but we don't know. It was pretty bad, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I did. That was like 12 years ago, so I think we're good. But on a serious note, On a very serious note, there was something I did that I deeply regretted. The summer in between high school and my freshman year at Sam Houston. And I don't want to go into too many details. But just know I ended up breaking this girl's heart that I really cared about. I hurt my best friend in the process. It was wrong. And for real, it was one of the worst things I've ever done. I was ashamed that I'd hurt others like that. And for days and weeks and months, it lingered. I can't believe I did that, and it was wrong, and I had to carry it for a while. Now, have any of you ever felt that way because of something you did? You did something you you thought you'd never do. Have you ever been lost in your sin and shame, living in disbelief? It sucks. The world would tell you it's okay. That shame you feel is fine. Everyone deals with stuff like that. That pain is just part of your identity throughout, just in life. That's it. But the world is dead in its sin. It has no real clear solution to the pain and shame of humanity, of sin. The world would just cover it up with pretty lies and lots of alcohol, drugs, a hookup culture that completely demeans healthy relationships, and TV shows that normalize that lifestyle and make its characters look happier than they could be in reality. 
But 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Thankfully, we have a God who loves us in spite of our sin and our shame. He sees it, and he still sent Jesus so that we might have have new life and not remain dead in sin. I was able to understand that more when I gave my heart fully to Jesus my freshman year here at Sam Houston in Chi Alpha. And all that baggage, that pain from what I had done before coming here to Sam, I was able to lay that at God's feet and repent and tell God clearly, I'm sorry. The world seems to be full of sin and the love for it. And it can be heartbreaking to see. But thankfully, we have a Bible that continually shows us God's plan that from the very beginning, he, his, he had a plan in place to redeem and save us. The whole Bible is full of these moments revealing God's redemptive plan for humanity. All throughout, there's pictures of God's overarching plan to save and redeem mankind. In the book of Genesis alone, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And that's the first instance of selfishness and sin for mankind. He had to put them out of the Garden of Eden. He, they couldn't enjoy paradise with him. But even then... God looks at the wicked serpent who kind of caused everything and said, the seed of the woman shall bruise your head. Somebody is going to come who's going to fix this. Noah and his family are living in a godless world, a world that is so rampant with sin, the only solution that God can see is that he has to flood the earth. So he commands them to build an ark so that they, they and their, his, Noah and his family could, could go on. Abraham is called by God to go to a promised land, promised land, and that through his son Isaac, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Joseph is taken from his father Jacob by his brothers. He's sold into slavery, and yet even through more betrayal, he is then able to save his family, has them settled in the land of Egypt with him so they could survive a famine. That's all just in the book of Genesis. In Exodus, Moses leads the people out of Israel, or leads the people of Israel out of Egypt, and through the Red Sea, which is split down the middle so they can walk on dry ground so that the people of God could be saved. And let me tell you, there's more and more of these stories in the Bible where God is working throughout. Incredible moments in history, all the time setting up the birth of his son Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem. A boy who grows up in wisdom and stature and goes to the cross so that we might live in right relationship with God. And then he rose again from the dead and ended for all time the penalty of sin, death. Remember Paul. Paul's writing from firsthand experience. And all he can do is like, remember it's because of God's grace and his loving mercy, his kindness, that we can be right with God again. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. The Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all about Jesus and his work of redeeming us. And everything else in the New Testament is the work of Jesus in mankind through his church. And the Bible is full of mankind's failures and faults, and yet it continually shows a God who is always faithful in fighting to save us. 
Alexander McLaren summarizes it like this in one of his sermons. Scripture paints man as he is, in darker tints, and man as he may become, in brighter ones than are elsewhere found. The range of this portrait painter's palette is from pitches black to most dazzling white, as of snow smitten by sunlight. Nowhere else are there such sad, stern words about the actualities of human nature. Nowhere else such glowing and wonderful ones about its possibilities. This physician, the great physician, Jesus, knows that he can cure the worst cases if they will take his medicine and is under no temptation to minimize the severity of the symptoms or the fatality of the disease. He says this, we have got both sides of my text. Man's actual condition, dead in trespasses, and man's possible condition, and the actual condition of thousands of men and women made to live again in Jesus Christ, and with him raised from the dead, and with him gone up on high, and with him sitting at, the, at God's right hand. That is what you and I may be if we will. If we will not, then we must be the other. God loves us, and he sees what we can become if we will accept Jesus and love him in return. You see, he came and paid a high price for each and every single one of us. If you need help understanding how God can pay for your own sins, let me tell you another story I remember from the past. It was the first time I really got this concept of Jesus paying the cost for my sins. And it was when I went, I was in high school, and I went to a D-Now, a sort of weekend retreat for youth. Anybody know D-Now? There's a few of you. She was really excited by it. It's good. But I remember one of these nights, the speaker of one of the nights, he did his talk, he was doing his talk about Jesus and the cost that he paid for our sins so that we could be redeemed. And he did this illustration where he offered a mint to one of the students. He'd like come up and say, like, here's this mint. And he's like, hey, do you accept this free gift, Zoe? And they'd say yes. And then he'd like, here, take a mint. But now there's a cost. And he would do 10 push-ups. And then he would get another mint and go to the next person. Do you accept this gift? And they'd say yes. And then he would do 10 push-ups. And on and on and on. I mean, there's like 40 students in this room. That's a lot of push-ups. And he was doing 10 push-ups each person. And I've been working out. I don't think I could do that many right now. My wife really wanted me to illustrate this again, but I, I couldn't do it. Of course, I, I'm one of the students. I'm in the audience. And I was towards the end of the line, probably like 30 or so. So he's, he's tired, like getting to me. And I remember him asking me, do you accept this free gift? And I looked at him, and I said, no. He said, why not? And I said, because I don't want you to have to do the push-ups. He's like, okay, you don't have to take it, but the cost still has to be paid. And he did 10 push-ups, and he went on to the next person. And that rocked my world. Like, it for real, I, I, I got that picture then. Jesus paid the cost, and he paid it for each and every single person, whether they accept it or not. Jesus paid the cost for me because he loved me, and I realized I was special to God, and it, he, he was a sort of father to me. Like I, and I had known that. I had heard he was a father. I grew up in a broken home where my father was never around, but God was there, and he loved me, and he sent his son to die for me so that I might live. And it was incredible to come to that knowledge that God loved me and he died for me. He valued me. 
it changed everything, and I had to sort of like, I'm special. God loves me, like, and I was. I was special. But then in my sophomore year, I was in our new small group leader class called LTC, which we have starting tomorrow for those of you who are doing it. And I, I heard something that I knew, but it changed, it, it, again, it changed my viewpoint drastically. And it was a simple phrase, what God does in you, he wants to do through you. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. And it was like I realized I was special to God, and he really did love me. But he also loved and cherished the people around me. He valued them. And he wanted me to be a part of the work to love those people well and see them come to know him and have that new life with him. Verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship, created in Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. What God does in us, he wants to do through us. You see, God loves you, and he has a purpose for each and every single one of us. Yeah, I was special to God. He died for me so that I might live for him and bring others with me to the cross of Jesus, to, to, to be his sons, his daughters, to be in a right relationship with him. This new life wasn't meant to be mine, selfishly gained. Like, I did it. I have new life. I'm, I'm with God, and that's it. It's over. It's like, no, there's 20,000 other students here at Sam Houston, and God died for, Jesus died for every single one of them, and he loves them. He died for each and every single one of you, and he loves you. And he has a plan and a purpose for your life. And we don't have to accept him. We're going to come back to that. Worship, you can actually come start heading this way. I'll move slow. But how was I to live this new life of walking with Jesus and seeing other people come to know him? With love in my heart for God and for others. And it was this powerful kind of love. It was this kind of love that we say is unselfishly choosing for the highest good of God and his kingdom. You see, I'd accepted Jesus and the, the gift of salvation. I don't like to think of it as merely a gift. It is a gift. Praise Jesus for what he did. But it was also an invitation to take part in the work with God. To say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight for other people around me. And that meant I was going to pray for them. I was going to serve them. I was going to pursue people as a small group leader, whether they wanted it or not. I was going to be a good big brother and love people well. I was going to live my life in a way that was pleasing to God and serve him in everything I said and I did. It was following God's command to love him with all of my heart, all of my mind, all of my soul, and to love my neighbor as myself. That choice was mine to accept Jesus as Lord and to love him. And I haven't regretted it yet. But I could have walked away and lived a much different lifestyle. The same is true for you. God loves you. He treasures you. He values you. And he wants your heart. Let me tell you, it'll be the best thing ever. But you have to accept him as he is and let him be Lord. Love him in return. And if you don't, then he'll find someone else. 
G. Campbell Morgan says it like this. Let us be very careful lest we mar the divine poems. We are his poems. He wants to sing a song to the world through our life. He cannot lose his thought. If he cannot sing it through us, he will sing it through someone else. You get to choose to be close to God or not. You don't have to. But if you want to know what it looks like to have new life, to not be dead in sin and your trespasses, and to have life in Jesus, and tonight you have the opportunity to come and pray here at the altar or around this room. What I would say is find somebody in your life who knows God, your small group leader, someone you know that walks with them and ask them to pray with you. God loves you and he wants to be in your life, but you have to accept him as he is. So come now. You can pray and talk to God and see what he wants you to do. It might be giving your life to him. It might be rededicating your life and say, Lord, you're Lord, I'm not. And it might be saying, I'm going to love my, my roommate, my neighbor, my family. So come, let's meet with God.